All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Type 7 Stances and Attachment Styles. I am so excited to have each of you. Obviously, this is a space that I'm quite familiar with being also a 7. But I'm curious because what we're learning is everybody's different and we're not getting anything very super consistent uh, across the board. So what we want to know from each of you is, is what's your stance or if there's a stack to your stances, what is that? Also, what's your attachment style? And then what we want to do is uh, make sure we understand, just to clarify for everybody who's listening, is once again, attachment styles and stances, and the reason why we're pairing them up together is both of them are addressing a fundamental question, which is how do we get our needs met in the context of relationship? And so with that, let's begin by first of all, getting to know who you are. So if you'd introduce yourself and tell us where you're from. Hi, I'm Claire, and I live in McAllen, Texas. Hi, I'm Andrew from Sydney, Australia. Hi, my name's Scotty, and I live in Vancouver, Canada. Hi, my name is Kelly, and I'm from San Jose, California. All right, well, welcome to each of you. I am, again, so excited to have uh, you on this panel. And I'm curious to know, in terms of your stances, and this is where we'll begin, is what is your dominant stance? And then do you know where you, where you go after that? What's your second? What's your third? And does, does context make a difference? So that's a big one. That keeps coming up for folks where context oftentimes makes a difference, but I'm curious if it does for every type. So who would like to begin? Sure. So I would say with me, uh, like going against is how I describe the stance and the description that I wrote out is bold and assertive uh, to achieve what I desire, high energy, optimism, positivity, enthusiasm, goal-oriented, focused. This is like my MO in relationships, at first at least. I, I come in and it's like I've always described it as like I do my jazz pizzazz. <laughs> I have a high energy and there, I guess that's maybe like the part of me that seduces. It's like a seductive part of my personality. I would say that how I am with relationships, with romantic relationships is different than I am, say, with friends or family. It's going to be very different. So I would say with relationships, I would go against. And then with family, it would probably be away from. And mm. then with friends, I would say um, against. Hmm. It's a fascinating thing to hear you say that because that, that does come up with other types too, where there's a... okay. You know, depending upon the, the relationship, if it's a if it's a one that I feel really good in, I feel really safe in, <laughs> the tendency will be more to be yourself naturally. So if you're if you kind of have a, an againstness to you, you'll kind of show up that way. However, if it's one in which it's exhausting for you or it's just very, very difficult or painful, then there tends to be that protective energy of of withdrawing. So that's I, yeah. I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense. Totally. And I would say even that something important to keep in mind with that is that we get a lot of our trauma from our family. So for me, I'd say it's impossible to look at my attachment style without looking at trauma that I've got gotten from my family. So for me, it would have been enmeshment from like a high level of enmeshment from my mother, especially. I even feel that my type seven strategy developed because of that enmeshment of like wanting my freedom but did you say in both romantic relationships and with your friendships, you start with that at or against? Energy? I would say with romance, I start with uh, with against or at. 
With family, it's more away. There's a lot more avoidance with my family. And with friends, the friends, it can be either way. I think that it's complicated with friends in today's world with social media, with cell phones. Like I tend to get super overwhelmed when there's like too many people contacting me. And it tends to be like, I'm so bent on having my freedom and, and having, and being able to roam at life on my own pace that when I get overwhelmed, I've become avoidant and I'll, I'll ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I relate. Yes. So what's your dominant instinct, Scotty? Uh, sexual. Yeah. I'm a sexual. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I destroyed my smartphone probably three or four months ago, like on purpose. And I have no intention on ever replacing it. So I'm moving through life with a flip phone these days. Essentially, just because of that constant overwhelm, I can't, I can't deal with it. The, the, the anxiety it, it produces in me. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting to listen. I, I think I'd said this too, Joel. I come at the stances work a little bit differently. I don't think it's inconsistent with how you all are approaching stances. Number one, you know, that there's been some terminology around the stance that sevens are in, you know, the at that you're using, but also the term aggressive has been used. And I, as a good seven will do, uh, reframe that language to stands independently. And I, for some reason, like that terminology because it it's still directional and for me in the sense that the, the directional is out and forward. And it's definitely about my agenda and my ideas my thing is a lot of my in it initially, at least as I began exploring it and sort of pushing that on folks and pushing it forward. In the way that I learned stance work some time ago, it was about the relationship of the centers for me as a seven. So I lead with the thinking center followed by the doing center and then really trying to find and access that heart center. So in some ways, the stacking for me has been within that stance and understanding that I'm in that grouping, overusing my head center, which then gets reinforced by my second preferred center, which is the doing center, and then heart somewhat left behind. I think you can make a reach to that in terms of the other work that you want to do here around attachment styles. But I I offer that because I haven't really thought about or thought through how the three stances might stack with one another, but think about them in relationship to my relationship and growth around the centers. So, and doing work, particularly around the heart center, right? I sort of try to bring those three things into balance because I've been overworking my head center. And so when I can bring all three of those online after some work, I could then imagine, and I can think of situations where I might land more in what folks have called the dependent stance that often leads with the heart as the primary center and and think about how now I actually might step back in relationship to folks who are far closer to me or step back perhaps in work relationships in that I've grown and developed the heart center. So I apologize if that's confusing relative to the work that you're putting forward, but I'm trying to make sense of how I've learned it and worked with it relative to this. And I think for me, 
the deep wounding for me as a seven, predominantly out of my childhood, meant that my heart was pushed pretty far back and have become protective of it. So there are moments when I can super withdraw, whether I'm physically withdrawing inside, I can feel that backward movement, particularly if there's been the sting of some kind of sensitivity that really hurts. And I might experience it as a withdrawing stance. Parents and family in particular can be very sort of stinging. And then I I really want to withdraw and not put myself out there and protect. So the heart makes a lot of sense as being the part that we sevens avoid. And then it is very sensitive. So when it is it is wounded, we pull back even further. And so there's a, a quick reaction to being wounded. And we've learned that the withdrawn stance tends to be activated by other types as a protective mm. measure. It's the thing that protects you from being wounded again. So I think that's fascinating with the stances. They seem to be both a strategy for connection, but also strategy for self-protection. And so, you know, again, we're learning, we're learning as we're asking. So it's very informative to hear from you, Kelly, as to how that works for you and, and how you're experiencing it. It's also um, helpful to look at the the two instincts, the dominant instincts, to see what we're learning from that as well. So, Scotty, you mentioned you started off with saying that you're, so you're sexual uh, dominant seven. Yep. What is your second in the stack? Uh, social would be second in the stack and self-prez would be my weakness. Okay. Kelly, what about you? Social, it definitely was social. Uh, Lois on self present and then one to one in the middle. Okay. So I am a sexual seven, then self pres, then social. And my stacking, I definitely lead with that. And then toward is my second, withdraw or away is my third. I initially thought I was pretty consistent across the board, except Scotty, when you were speaking, I think I'm more withdrawn with my family. I just see that kind of come up that my knee-jerk reaction, especially around conflict, will be to maybe pull back a little bit. Whereas everywhere else in my life with conflict, I definitely lead with at. I lean into it. I feel like it's mine to do. I can start the conversation. I'm, you know lead with that. But I would say my stacking is the most pronounced in my relationship with my partner. Withdrawing to me feels like death. Like I just can't mm. do it. I'm terrible mm. at it. It feels like giving up, which is very threatening to me because conflict, I view, you know, engaging as a means to a solution. And if I withdraw, then there's no solution. So that's a threatening feeling. And it can be very hard for me to sit back and accept that something is unresolved, which I think is consistent mm-hmm. with people that lead wow. with at inter- energy. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Boy, yeah. I learned just by listening to you. That's uh, huge. Yep. Thank you. I don't know if y'all relate to this, but as a seven, especially a sexual seven, I can get really passionate about an idea or a topic or something. And then... I'm excited and I'm enthusiastic about it. And then people have told me, oh, that's coming across very intense. (laughs) Or you seem like you're coming at me. And I'm just like, what? Like, it's been shocking to be told that, especially when it's not personal. Like if it's about an idea that's not, that doesn't relate to me and the other person, it can be very confusing how that seems overwhelming to someone, you know? And it makes me feel like I'm too much to be told that and that I have to like 
water myself down to make it more comfortable for someone else to receive. Mm. So. That's interesting because as a self-preservation seven, I'm actually the opposite. Looking at, I am, you know, sitting in the ad, I'd like to convince people of a way, you know, that the world would be better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if I'm in conflict, I will withdraw because I want to withdraw to gain some sort of coherent structure around the argument so I can then come back later and, you know, put it forward. But that obviously doesn't always happen. <laughs> so if the argument is still coming at me, I'll withdraw further and further and further away from it or I will uh, respond, but it won't be the best response that I could come up with if I thought about it. So, yeah. So in conflict, I will definitely withdraw. With family, I'm always leaning in. So they're easy because my family are pretty easy. As a whole, business, friends, I will be definitely in the at stance. Uh, but yeah, I think as a self-prez, that wanting to get away from that conflict will make me withdraw. Yeah. What's your second instinct? I think social and sexual were really close. I think social was just above. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And it seems like, because that's the part where I haven't always related to other sevens, is that I'm more conflictual. And if something is not being dealt with, I'll lean in. So if someone starts leaning in towards me, I'm not going to lean back. I'm going to lean right back at. And so that shows up. And I think that's much more consistent with the sexual instinct than it is with the self-preservation instinct as part of what helps that. Uh, that's just my, you know, my theory. <laughs> I could be wrong, but learning a lot around how that shows up and that there's a self the self-preservation is definitely far more protective and uh, will be guarded. Certainly in relationships in business, I've taught myself to lean in and front up so I can make happen what needs to happen in my business. But in relationships, yeah, I'm, I'm a total uh, out, of there, out of there kind of guy. Well, Andrew, you said lean in, but both the at stance and the towards stance can be leaning in. So what's the flavor of it? It would be at, it would be at, because I'm more of a, of a convince this is the way it is at that's be it's because of this. So yeah, no, you're right. It is the at stance. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. And again, I just want to make this point because I can feel in my own self. So this may not be what you're feeling, but whenever I use that, like, yeah, I'm in the at stance. I feel like I have to give a qualifier because I don't feel that intensity of like, I'm against everybody. And I'm just like, but it's more of, I don't want to be swallowed up in other people's agendas. I don't want to be taken in by someone else's plan. I want that autonomy. And so that's the where it comes as a no to that, <laughs> yes to my way. And that's how the stance, again, goes about trying to get its needs met. Yeah. So what does at stance look like for, I just described mine. Uh, what does it look like for each of you? How would you describe it in your, in your words? Some of you have already said like convince. That might be one of the words. I think, especially for seven, there can be a strategic level of charm with at. I just feel like whenever you said convince or persuade or you're getting someone on your agenda or, you know, to go with your plan, I think charm goes into that too. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
almost like an aggressive charming. Don't give away our secrets. <laughs> yes. I would have expected to hear from the sexual sevens, but I'm surprised that all of you are in agreement that charm is oh, a yeah. real component of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's well, weird. and as a social seven, I really get fired up in that particular stance on behalf of other people. And because I work in, in the workplace and human resources in particular, I have been absolutely charming and deeply persistent and at times kind of challenging the status quo because the thing that's the agenda is not only mine, but it also aligns with a, a group that I feel some conviction to mm. do the right thing for the group, in this case, employees. So that's interesting to think about how that shows up for me as a social seven. Well, it's interesting. Now that, now that we're talking about it, I ha- I'm having some different thoughts about the, the moving towards, even in regards to my family, because I think previously I said that I would move away from, but I'm starting to think like my mother was a type two, a sexual two, and my father was a, is, is a type nine. And there was like no conflict in my family environment when I, when I was a kid. And so it's like conflict is actually something that I've had to learn how to lean into over time. And I'm almost feeling like with my mother in particular, my dominant stance is, is moving towards. And even with a lot of my friends, I feel like I move towards at least at first, but it rapidly changes mm. to going away from. It seems like going away from is like a real common thing for me. I want to make sure you understand when we say you're starting, it's not the best terminology because yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean that this is where you, it doesn't always mean you start with this. What it, te- right. it's, it's perhaps better to say like, it's the larger percentage of mm-hmm. the pie. It's it's right. the thing that you, you do a bit more of than the others, right. <laughs> but because I, I totally relate. I mean, there's plenty of times where I show up as like, Oh, I'm, I'm happy to be with these people. And it's just like, I'm here. I don't really have an agenda. I'm just really happy to be here. But it does change. I like how you de- you describe that. Like I may be just like here I am, and just let's hang out. Let's get let's just be here together, and then it starts to become more like I have an agenda, or I don't want to do this, right. or I want to do that, or you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I think about it as my default setting. So when I'm not consciously aware of what I'm doing, it's my default setting, which is at. And I have plenty of times where if I feel uncomfortable or if I don't connect with someone right off the bat, kind of like that sexual instinct thing, I can withdraw, especially self-pres being second. But most of the time, my default setting is at. And then when the agenda doesn't go so well for you and that you haven't brought people along with you to actually help implement the thing, I've had to spend a lot of time probably in that toward space with folks and in a different way in order to make my atness agenda, you know. That's a really good, yeah, really (laughs) good point. Yeah. Mm. Somebody out of a thing we did uh, gave me advice afterwards. Uh, You need to build a coalition. You can't just be this one out there with this idea that you can see you got to come down (laughs) here and actually spend some time you know, with, with people outside of your idea. Does, does he not know you're a seven? 
<laughs> well, he saw me shut up for about a good couple of minutes and realized that he had stunned me into silence. So might have picked up on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's excellent, Kelly. That is something I, for myself, I've struggled with as well, which is why I think what you're describing is that dutiful, that kind of like, okay, let's go towards the, the towards stance a little bit here. Um, is something I've had to learn. It's not natural for me to just do that at the collaborative level all the time. Like it, it, it there's parts of it that that will happen. I don't know the rest of you how you feel is because you've all had these experience of being in in roles of with teams and with people. But you'll show up in a team setting, and sometimes it's like really like solid collaboration, and that's great. But then other times it's just it's like you know here's my idea, here's my agenda. And then there's a surprise as the like the disconnect. Like I didn't know that you weren't on board, or I didn't know that you didn't get it, or I didn't know that you were. And so then it's uh oh. <laughs> so then it's like, yeah, right. I have to go back to the towards stance again to meet people in that space. Right. Yeah. Well, type sevens, I feel like a team environment is the optimum environment for me, at least with like I can think I'm thinking about my work in particular, because I'm just an idea maker, you know, and like when I have I'm in an environment where I can bounce ideas off of. I'm it really, I'm at my best. Well, I'm also curious about the potential role for withdrawing. And I've all of your conversations have now have me thinking as opposed to preparing in advance. The times that I have strategically, intentionally withdrawn for reasons often of power, because I come with a title and I'm thinking about the workplace to allow for the free flow of ideas for people to contribute their stuff. I often get the, why are you so quiet, Kelly? And, you know, where's your voice in this? Or, well, where is this going? And I don't know, where do you want it to go? And I've been using that. I didn't name it exactly the way this conversation has spurred the thinking for me, but it was intentional in doing that. And I notice the group dynamics Mm-hmm. change a bit boy okay so i don't i don't want to spend the rest of the night on this but that one right there is one that we could spend the next uh, hour discussing yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's yeah. it's a big one it's a big one of learning how to both do like i'm present for as a seven because that's our big thing being present and engaged but not necessarily taking over and taking, mm. you know, over with the ideas. And that's a that's a big challenge. And we'll talk about that in a little bit about the, um, with the stances when we get to that third question about how do we grow. Let's take a look at the attachment style. So again, we have four different styles. We have the secure, securely attached, which I think are, a lot of us are, are there occasionally, sometimes less frequently. But uh, secure attachments means I'm, I'm able to ask for what I need without demanding it. And I feel comfortable being able to do so. And I'm in a relationship where I can also be the one responding to the needs around me. So securely attached looks like that. And there's the anxious or preoccupied, which are those who believe that their needs have to be met by other people. They do not have their own capacity, their own resources to be able to do so. And then the third is the avoidant style, the dismissive style, which are those people who do not want to trust anybody to meet their needs. They're going to meet their needs uh, their way. And then the the fourth category are the disorganized types, which are those who don't have a clear strategy on how to go about getting their needs met. So what is your dominant attachment style? And um, does context matter? Uh, I took the 
online test for the attachment style. And I'm, this is specifically with my current romantic relationship. So it'll be different with my friends and family, but for my current relationship, I got 76% secure, 20% dismissive avoidant and 3% ambivalent anxious. Now my previous relationships would not be anything close to that. And I think that the reason why I'm 76% secure is because I am with a self-preservation type eight. And it is by far the least complicated relationship that I have ever been in. I've had a lot of complicated relationships in the past. And so my current relationship, it's unlike anything I've ever been in before. And it's because of the ability to be direct. Um, You know, we've gotten in some big fights for sure, but our ability to repair (laughs) has been solid. So there's that with my romantic relationship. In the past, I've had really complicated relationships and it would have been very different. So I've had relationships that I would have been more dismissive avoidant and relationships that have went, would have been more anxious. Yeah. Scotty, I relate to you in that way. I think my attachment style predominantly is secure, but I lean towards anxious tendencies in my current relationship, which for me is extremely different than my past relationships. I used to be very avoidant. I kind of had a pattern of being with people that I knew deep down in my gut that it wasn't going to work out. I knew that I had an exit plan and I knew that in the end, I wouldn't be with this person. But um, now I'm with someone who I'm completely in love with and it's terrifying, but good. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, everything is so, I mean, it's so different and it's so great, but I have these moments that are so new to me of being like, wait, I actually really care about what you think of me. And like, if we have an argument, I want to know, did your viewpoint change of me? Do you want this still? And like, that's very new for me because I never felt that way in the past. I always felt in control. And I know this sounds bad, but maybe like slightly superior. Like I never felt like my position was threatened. And then now it's very like vulnerable. We're equal. And Mm. it's a whole new land for me to explore, but it's really good. (laughs) Yeah, I, I totally relate with what both of you said. Primarily secure, but I lean towards the um, dismissive avoidant in the way that I'm comfortable without having that close relationship. And I think maybe it's the self-pres is a part of me that says, uh, do I need to let them get that close or do I want them to get that close? But when you are close with them, you want them to be close. So, so it's um, I've you've kind of got this little bit going, like pushing away, or I suppose um, worried about getting trapped into that relationship. You're talking about a relationship with the eight. I'm in a relationship with the self pres five at the moment, and it's easy. Yeah, both head types. We're just looking for the information. There's no argument. What's the information? That's and then we're good. <laughs> but yeah, so but basically, I'm pretty secure in past relationships or the last marriage and um, and this one. Um, but yeah, th- there is that hint of uh, the avoidance, which I think may come from the self-pres in the little birdie sitting on my shoulder going, 
what happens if it doesn't work? Or what happens if uh, it's not right? Or what happens if the grass is greener on the other side? But, you know, I managed to squash that down quite comfortably. So, yeah. <laughs> I wonder with the avoidance like theme that I feel like we have, I feel like it's control of what could happen. So if you're able to control or know your exit plan or not be in it hundred percent, then you know, you can't like be hurt as deeply mm. as you would if maybe you weren't in control of that. I don't know. Do y'all, what do y'all think on that? For me, it's not a hurt thing. For me, it's a, a future thing. It's more looking towards the future and maybe is there something better maybe uh, rather than a, right. rather than a, a being hurt. That's for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, what you said about um, the exit plan, like I always like to have an exit plan or a, a back door to sneak out of when no one's looking. I've come to the attachment styles work, you know, within the last couple of years, certainly open about this, but, you know, September 20th will be two years of sobriety. So we're almost to that major milestone. And with that work, with a therapist, uh, you know, every week for a really long time and some family of origin therapy with the Jody White factor, uh, who is awesome. I encourage anyone to do work with her. And then right after that, some work on something called mother hunger, which is a very specific attachment injury between mothers and daughters uh, and specifically, which comes out of Kelly McDaniel's work. Um, this question that you pose here, Joel, uh, I would just name that a layer, I think, for our Enneagram work is the mindfulness around kind of what else is kind of layered upon us. What I mean by that is I know what my attachment style is. And as I was taking this particular test, there was a lot of confusion in it because of the amount of work that I've done and haven't necessarily reestablished or tried to practice or given some healing, uh, a, a different approach in terms of attachment style and relationships. And so I would just offer that when I really discovered I'm predominantly anxious, but a healthy amount of avoidant and would swing between those two things, both within a relationship and patterns across relationships. I think that people would be surprised that I would have the anxious attachment style as a strategy for surviving my life. Um, because I present as so at and independent and got it together. And, but in romantic or private relationships, there was definitely this, there's not enough love in the world to go around. And so my strategy was to pull people in almost as if I was consuming them to try to stay close to them, to meet that deep need um, to feel safe and secure and loved and so I would just offer that then, you know, in a different relationship, I was clearly like this swinging thing between avoidant, depending on who I was with, who were predominantly avoidant folks. So you end up in this dance between you, you go at somebody and they go away and then you go back and they come at you. And, and so it's a complex territory. And I think the awareness of it, which is why I love what you're doing in terms of bringing it in and with and around the Enneagram and also the stances work. For me, answering the question was really hard. And I would, in terms of where I'm at right now, and would say that it only got more confusing as I did the mother hunger work. And perhaps in some ways, 
a deeper understanding of a very specific attachment wound that has really fueled this. There is not enough love. So I am going to grab a hold of this person. I'm going to let go of other things in my life and make them the central point of my life as a way to try to get it. And when they would run, it was painful. Um, and that has happened over and over again. So trying to create a different response has been a lot of my work. I'm not sure how helpful that is, but how we show up in this space, I think context probably matters quite a bit. Mm. Thank you. And I appreciate your your uh, vulnerability here. And I do appreciate the nuancing to it because this is not something that we can just have one absolute answer and that tonight we're going to answer how all sevens uh, respond in, in, in situations and relationships. Uh, certainly not. Not even it's it's hard to know yourself and how you respond in different situations. And listening to Scotty talk and myself being in the dating world, which is just abysmal, like it is just not like the thing I really find uh, fun at the moment as a seven. I think that we should take some of these, um, Scotty, you made me think that we should apply some of these things to the dating app world and actually do the matching based on some of that because I can almost... These dating apps are driving me insane. I've like, I've shut them down. Enneagram plus attachment style would be really helpful. I can almost (laughs) spot them now. Them being the ones I probably am not going to be in a healthy relationship with. So I do think there's some real practical applications to this. (laughs) Oh, there (laughs) are. I mean, I found myself for years, I would tell myself like, maybe I'm not actually meant to be in a long-term relationship. Maybe I'm actually meant to just like date and then be really open about the fact that I just, I want something that's not long-term because so many of them have been so complicated. And now I realize that, I mean, there's a number of factors, like it depends on a a person's level of self-awareness. You know, once you get involved in, you know, self-discovery and personal development, then you need to find someone else that is into the same. Like, I think the chances of having a, a healthy relationship, if you're really focused on personal development, if the other person doesn't have a similar level of dedication to it, then it's kind of a, this, this ship's going to sink eventually. And I, I, I think at least that's my <laughs> well, own. It sank a few times already. Yeah, <laughs> that's my own, it's my own take. Well, let's take us to the final question and um, and just go around and talk about what are you learning? How are you growing? And as you think about that question, the stances that we've talked about are, again, against, toward, in a way. And what Jim and I have talked about is that when we're not aware, when we're not in the space of consciousness, we are reacting based on the impulses of our type and the impulses of our stances. When we gain more self-mastery, what happens is we begin to be able to choose with discernment what stance should be used in what way, at what time, with you know whoever I'm with. So, we're talking about that as the with stance, the fourth stance. And to be with is that I'm capable of being with but I don't need to be anxiously preoccupied, you know, using attachment styles. You know, I don't need to be against. I don't need to be toward. I don't need to be away. I can choose the stance that is appropriate for the context. So let's talk about that question of how are you growing? What are you learning? So what am I learning? I'm learning how to set boundaries. That's huge for me. And I, th- I think 
One thing with me is like, I have the Enneagram, I have attachment theory, and there's, there's a variety of other systems and maps that I work with to, to really help me to see where I am in life. I also fit into the, uh, the highly sensitive person category, the, the HSP category. So that's really huge for me. Elaine Aaron wrote a really good book called The Highly Sensitive Person. And uh, she wrote a, a follow-up book called The Highly Sensitive Person in Love, which has been like a huge, huge benefit for me as well. I also have Integral Theory is another one that I, that I work with. It's been really huge. Yeah. And also... There's a woman named Tice Gibson, and she does a she does a program called the Personal Development School. Mm-hmm. So I've really gotten a lot from her. She has like courses that you can take, and I really recommend anyone that wants to really dive into healing attachment, your um, dysfunctional attachment style. She has a really good program, and like just getting back to my current relationship, I never thought I'd be in the position where my MO, my my constant go-to is just feeling secure and feeling like I don't have anxiety when she's going to show up or like when we get into com- conflict uh, that I'm, I'm not going to be afraid to speak my mind or set a boundary. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome, Scotty. So I think three things. I heard this in in your podcast and it is so true. The Brene Brown, what is the story I'm telling myself is a constant mantra for me in that anxious space. It is amazing the stories that I can make up about why amount of time has passed, why somebody hasn't contacted me, why, why, why. And that goes for work relationships as well. And so being able to name the story, hold it, and let it go is incredibly important. And I use it as a theory for when I do find the real answer, it really is the one that I've conjured up, you know? Mm. And and so, Mm. you know, that's important learning for me because I have really good stories going in my head about what's (laughs) going on. I think the second thing for me, meditation practice, quite frankly, I've been really heavily doing meditation since January and particularly a meta loving kindness practice um, Mm. has been extremely, extremely helpful. And when I can turn it on myself, so I have to practice sending it to other people first and to myself. And I used to think this was crazy when people would say this, you got to love yourself first. And I'm like, what does that actually mean? You know, um, I, I don't know what that feels like that just like, huh? And so experiencing it has been really important through meditation practice. And, and it usually makes me cry in some way, shape or form, which is a good sign that I've tuned in to who's in who's here and can get some security from that. And then I think mm-hmm. in addition to boundaries, I think the third thing really and truly is a lot of body work um, that may not sound like it's connected to this, but because of my head and my stories, my body tells me a different story mm. in terms of different information, different source of intelligence that I didn't know existed before. So low on self-pres, like barely noticed that, you know, I didn't eat for an entire day or, you know, whatever. Mm that finding my body and listening to what it's telling me can give me better information than my head is. And I think some of that is about building intuition and listening to the intuition and not just the fact-based thing that's going on in my head. Excellent. Yeah. I'd say me too, me too, me too, through a lot of what you just said. So (laughs) yes. Yeah. There's one thing I want to add real quick is what you were saying about the body. I can relate to that. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the body is the language of the emotions. 
I think that that's what they say. Something like, or the issues are in the tissues. Like a lot of our um, <laughs> emotions go into it's, our body. It's held, yeah. it's held in our yeah. bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, for me, I'm pretty secure in who I am and I do love myself in terms of that. I believe I have everything I need. However, there are in terms of certainly the stances as funny at work. One of my employees said to me the other day, he goes, you're too soft. You're the nicest boss. You're the best boss I've ever worked for, but you let people get away with too much. You know, if someone, mm-hmm. you know, uh, arrived at work five minutes late consistently, I'd fire them. Of course, he's like an eight. Uh, <laughs> I got all my guys to do uh, um, their Enneagram. But when I look at it, I don't lean in or go towards in a lot of instances especially in business because I have I don't want the conflict so that's one place where um, I do need to change change it up a bit in that area the other part is probably in attachment styles with that uh, avoidance it's I think it's a lot to do with maybe my head or trying to understand or decipher my heart uh, so when I'm in a relationship I'm going, uh, is this love? Uh, is this what it feels like? You know, uh, uh, I'm not quite sure because I, I suppose I'm trying to analyze it and compare mm. it to other times in my life where I felt that and say, well, is this, is this where it is? Um, so that maybe links into some of the avoidance part. It might be an anxiety part too. And I think I told you when we spoke a little while ago that, uh, I'd only just realized that my stress is actually anxiety. Uh, when I talked to you, Joel, a couple couple of weeks ago. So learning about my feelings and uh, those emotions is a major part of where I need to grow or where I am trying to grow, uh, especially in the anxiety part um, of my life uh, and labeling it as anxiety and not just stress. You know, that's mm-hmm. uh, just stress. We'll, we'll deal with that later. You know? um, and also in relationships, that the love part saying, you know, well, this is love because you know, there, there you go. I'm I'm analyzing it right now. So you know, trying to feel it rather than just analyze it. So you know, yeah. I'm trying to to grow in those parts, you know, rather than just being in the head. I love it, and it ties in with what Kelly you were saying before, where you know there's a connection to the centers, you know, for you when it comes to even you know talking about attachment styles and then you know uh, stances. And I think it's integral. I think everything's connected that way. And so you recognize like. No, maybe a lot of the avoidance is actually that I don't really listen to my heart. I don't really listen Mm. to my body. And then maybe by listening to them, I can honor them, which means maybe a different approach in the relationship. So thank thank you for for naming that. I think that's uh, really good. Something that I've learned, and this is probably more specific to this topic, is that in order for me to feel connected, I need to be aware of my at energy or intensity and the effect it has on others. It's kind of funny because the intensity will arise when I feel disconnected. And so my pursuit to feel connected can be very intense. And then it actually blocks the connection I'm trying so hard for. (laughs) So being aware of that is something that I've really been working on. It's kind of like when Brene Brown says, I'm scary when I'm scared. (laughs) Like when Mm, I feel threatened, 
when my, or not me, but when my connection feels threatened, I go in so hard and then it has the adverse effect. So being aware of that um, is something I really work on and to, Hmm. to pull back when it's appropriate and to give permission to the other person to come forth. Cause like, I feel like not everyone has that inherent inherent need or inherent way to just go for what they want, you know? And so I feel like reading the other person or reading the room or who, who you're with and kind of pulling back and making space and like inviting them in will make you feel more connected, which is like what mm-hmm. we're all trying to get. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it true that when we don't try as hard, we trust. Mm, trust. Yeah. Ooh. Either the hunger kicks in and the anxiety is all over the place. Right. Mm-hmm. But staying present to that and trusting. Yeah. Um, it's always a surprise to us that both the appetite quiets and people actually do oftentimes demonstrate that they are present, you know, and the ones that aren't supposed to be around, they end up leaving anyway. So, you know, that's. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like relinquishing control. Like that's why I asked about control. Mm. Cause I've been really observing my need to control. And I used to not think that it was there, but I think a lot of my like anxiety around feeling disconnected comes from a need to control. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And so oh, yeah. relinquishing that control and letting people and things come to you instead of trying so hard to go against. is just, that's what I've been working on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, to each of you again, thank you so very much for having been on this podcast, having opened up your hearts and shared with us. This is a very complex and difficult uh, subject to cover, but it's one that we felt needed to be started at least that we start that conversation in no way do we feel like we've answered anything. <laughs> in fact, if anything, I think what we've done is asked the better questions that hopefully will open us up to a journey, a journey towards healing, a journey towards engaging uh, in the stances in a way that comes from a response rather than a reaction mm-hmm. through the attachment styles that comes from a place of awareness that we can move towards the secure attachment that we can trust ourselves, that we can trust that love will come our way. So I just wanted to say a big thank you to each of you for having been part of this incredible conversation. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.